Hey there, this is the Jesus Drinks Coffee podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Yoshimura. And today I thought we would kick out the first episode of 2024, this new year, on a conversation about family. So if you are like every other human and especially young adult, around the holidays times when you're around your immediate family and perhaps extended a family, no matter how amazing your family is and how much you love them, usually conflict comes up and I feel like it's especially around things like Christmas or New Year's and so I thought this would be a very timely conversation about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the context of loving our family well and also having the humility to recognize the areas that we still need to grow when it comes to engaging in our family dynamic in healthy ways. So this is a solo episode and a lot of it's just going to be me sharing the ways the Lord has spoken to me, humbled me, given me frameworks um, to really challenge me and call me to higher levels of maturity in my discipleship in the context of my family. So it's just me and you. Feel free to grab a cup of coffee or tea and enjoy this conversation on family. So conversations about family. A little bit about my childhood and upbringing. I have such a wild and fun family. I grew up uh, going to the beach for six to eight hours, um, surfing with my family, hilarious um, like boat making competitions. When it was rainy, we would put together um, different <laughs> supplies from our households and race boats um, in the flooded gutter <laughs> near our house. And so I had a lot of really sweet, fun, tender moments. I have uh, a mom and dad who loved me so well and two older siblings that are a hoot. And like any family dynamic, um, there are moments in which um, conflict goes sour. And um, especially being an adult now going back, I have definitely felt moments of immaturity or younger versions of myself come out around my family. And so for me, my journey was um, essentially thinking that when I was, you know, in my um, later teen years into my adulthood, I felt like, man, my family dynamic can be pretty chaotic at times, but I'm the one that got away completely unimpacted and unscathed by, you know, that moment's chaotic things and how wrong I was. <laughs> um, and that's not to say that, um, you know, all of us have this really intense, uh, deep childhood trauma, though there is a lot of um, validity to honestly exploring that with the Lord and therapists for sure. And I have done that. Um, but I didn't realize until I, about when I was in college that the way I was raised and my family dynamics actually really did impact me. And I remember um, realizing this for the first time. Uh, I went to therapy for the first time when I was at, in college. Shout out to Todd. He was incredible. And I remember this particular conversation that we had. Um, I was talking to him about the situation with um, a boy of all things. Oh, this was like a man because I was grown by now. Um, and, you know, we were talking about how things ended poorly. And I was like telling Todd, my therapist, I said, you know, I'm just so uncomfortable because I'm angry at this person and I'm not really an angry person so I don't really know what to do with that feeling and Todd turned to me and he said oh you you don't think you get angry I said no no like I'm not really an angry person I'm pretty like positive and optimistic so yeah I just don't really um you know feel angry so it's a weird emotion for me 
And he gave me the homework of um, that next week, writing down every moment in which I felt um, even a little angry. Or he said, if that word makes you uncomfortable, upset. Like times that you feel like frustrated, you know, irked, that type of thing. And I said, okay. And it was amazing to me that every day something upset me. You know, it was um, a pointed email from a coworker or um, just this frustrations um, in my, you know, friendship, something like that. And I followed up with him the following session. I said, you know, that is so strange. I didn't realize that I actually do experience anger. Like I'm, I guess I just don't pay attention to it. And we started to unpack um, the fact that in my family, anger wasn't necessarily talked about or expressed in like healthy, productive ways. And I think that's probably true for majority of our families because anger, um, feels like a quote unhealthy emotion especially in like christian circles where we're only supposed to be like happy <laughs> and hopeful like anger doesn't feel like there's a place in like a good disciple's life um, but like all emotions there is place and purpose for it and so we had this great conversation but it really started to open my eyes about how my family impacted me and then also the implications of what that meant for when i would engage with my family in turn and so I um, sort of began this journey in therapy in college with understanding how my first family formed me and then also what that meant in terms of my perpetuated role in my family into adulthood. Like now that I'm no longer a kid, what does my relationship with my family look like? And so one of the things that I encountered in this journey of um, awareness and growth, hopefully, was this book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. Maybe you've heard us talk about it. Um, Noah, who was on the podcast, um, absolutely is a fan of that book as well. We talk about it frequently. And so the whole premise of the book is the idea of in order to be mature disciples of Jesus, we need to grow not only in our knowledge of scripture, not only in our um, practices of things like solitude and fasting, but we also need to grow in maturity in the area of our emotions and how we relate to our emotions and express our emotions. And one of the chapters was so helpful for me in understanding more about my family dynamic was this chapter called Going Back to Go Forward. And so its focus was understanding our first family and our parents' first family before they had us in order to understand more about the ways that we are informed. And so that kind of gives explanation for some of the things that feel inherent to us that, you know, when I encounter a situation, I, um, you know, will burst out in anger or avoid conflict or seclude myself. And so one of the activities that the author Pete Scazzaro walks you through is um, a genogram, which is this idea of creating a family map in order to better understand the dynamics of your upbringing and then also to understand how your parents were raised and their dynamics with their siblings and their parents. And so for me, it was really fascinating to go through that exercise um, with a therapist and just alone with the spirit in my own time. And I, and I believe there are a lot of online resources that um, Scazzaro has put out as far as family mapping that you can look up online. But for me, it really helped me to understand that a lot of things that were actually a part of my personality 
um, and the way I kind of functioned in relationships were largely a result of sort of the concoction of my relationship with my siblings, the events and experiences and my relationships with my parents. Like it wasn't necessarily by accident that there's a big part of my family that played into that for better and for worse at times in my own um, habits, especially like coping things. And so that sort of took me on a journey of understanding how families impact and shape us. And for me, one of the really um, clear moments of that in scripture is when it talks um, about this idea of a generational impact. So like generational sin, generational curses or punishment, and then also generational blessings. So in Exodus 20, when it gives the 10 commandments there's a specific verse that talks about idolatry and then it talks about the implication on generations for that sin in particular so exodus 25 through 6 says you must not bow down to them the idols or worship them for i the lord your god am a jealous god who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods i lay the sins of the parents upon their children the entire family is affected even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. That understanding the verse more and understanding more of generational patterns in family dynamics in scriptures really opened my eyes to understanding the spiritual and emotional ramifications of how our first families impact us. And I remember as I was talking to my therapist in college about anger in particular, he walked me through, um, you know, the first family in Genesis, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. And he showed me that there are patterns, especially of anger, like sinning out of anger. The anger itself is not a sin, but the actions we take out of anger can be sinful and how that was actually passed down to generation and generation. So that when Adam's son murdered his brother, the rest of his family line was marked by anger and violence. And we see that with King David, who you know has this affair with Bathsheba, who loses a son. You actually can track the dysfunction of David's family after that time. And so when scripture talks about being punished to the third or fourth generation, my understanding is, um, you know, there. I think there absolutely is precedent for understanding God intentionally inflicting punishment upon people. I don't think you can read the Old Testament without uncomfortably holding that truth as well, which is hard for me. But I think when it talks about generational sin and curses, it definitely could be God's active hand in punishing you know, children for the sin of their parents. But I also think it's like an explanation of, hey, parents, when you engage in sinful, destructive behavior, it will impact your children. And that will impact their children to the third and fourth generation. And as I was doing my genogram and understanding the generational implications of sin or promises and blessings, I recognized that, you know, things like, alcoholism or broken marriages or um, deceit or unhealthy coping, whatever it is, you can actually track that generationally for several generations, probably about the third and fourth generations. Not that I got to know my great grandparents, but it was fascinating me to me to actually see that in my own 
family line. And again, this is not at all to talk poorly on my family. I love and admire my family members so, so much. But for me, I lived a lot of my life up until young adulthood without any awareness of my family's dynamic and my parents' parents and their parents' parents and the implication that had. And so for me, that was really formative in having that realization, but not just stopping there because that would be that wouldn't be good news right just understanding of like well if your parents sinned or their parents sinned guess what you now have to deal with the cards that they were dealt and that sucks that wouldn't be good news but the second part of that verse that i think is so crucial is that of course god says that the children will be punished of the sins to because of the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation but then he says but the to those that love the lord they will be blessed for a thousand generations. And so I think there is so much hope, at least for me when I read that scripture, of all of these uh, generational sins and patterns can and will in Jesus' name stop with my generational line. That when I turn to the Lord in that awareness and repent for the sins in my life and forgive, which we'll talk about in a second, I no longer have to bear and perpetuate the sin of my generational line that actually when I surrender my love my life to the Lord when I dedicate my love to the Lord when I worship him and only him above all else it says that generations after me will be blessed exponentially and so what we do matters if we choose to have future children or if you currently have children what we do actually has generational impact on our children and our children's children, which has been blowing my mind as I think about that. Like the actions I take now in reconciling areas in my life, like reconciling relationship with family members and, and deepening those relationships actually have generational impact. So me engaging in that really hard work in humbly allowing the Lord and others to pinpoint areas where I need to grow, where I need more maturity, Doing that hard work, having hard conversations with loved ones, not only heals potentially our relationship with them, but it can set up generational line for promises and love and deep, rich spiritual inheritance. So, as I have shared um, this journey with me, understanding my own formation in the context of my family has been really um, important for my maturity and I still have so much growth as I'm sure a lot of my family members would tell you um, but something that was really pivotal for me happened a couple of years ago in the context of how I relate to my family personally so um, just for some backstory history that could be helpful when I was younger, I played the role of sort of translator and peacekeeper in my house. So, um, you know, in our formative years, we often take up roles in our family dynamics. That's just sort of a natural things that happen. Um, and so my role was to help sort of keep the peace or step in when I saw people in conflict or miscommunication and really try to help solve problems before they became, um, you know, big ordeals. And so when I was younger, that was just sort of the role I naturally fit into. Um, and I, as I grew 
um, in age and awareness, I realized that that wasn't a healthy role for me to perpetuate into my adulthood, that it wasn't healthy for me to feel like I had to be Jesus for my family, that I had to be the person to save them, to bring them happiness, to bring them peace. Now, a lot of my people, my, a lot of my family members um, aren't in, aren't disciples of Jesus. And so for me, I think I felt um, once I became a believer a little later in life, I felt I think especially this pressure to be Jesus for people in my family because I knew they needed um, healing. They needed peace. They needed comfort. They needed, um, you know, just help in really being able to love well and communicate well. And so I kind of stepped in and definitely over-functioned in trying to be Jesus for my family. And so I recognized about when I went away to college and started living out on my own and listening to my friends and their dynamics with their families that I realized that, oof, that is, that is not healthy for me at all. Um, it was just, and it wasn't a role that my family even asked me into. I want to clarify that. That was not something that my family was like, hey, can you come in and fix all our problems? Can you hold all of our spiritual burdens for us? But that was a role I felt like I needed to step into. Um, and so I recognized when I went away to college that that was a really draining thing for me that I'm, I can't be Jesus for other people. And so I kind of pendulum swung the opposite direction, which I feel like is classic young adulthood. And so instead of me sort of over-functioning, being overly engaged with my family, trying to solve all their problems, I was like, I am just going to emotionally shut down and remove myself and run away from my family's um, stuff. Like the, you know, just the the stuff that comes up in family conflict and relational tension. And so I started when I would, since I was in college, I would go back, you know, for winter break and summers to, you know, live with my family. And I found myself sort of praying these prayers of, almost like protection of like, okay, God, just like give me the strength and protect me from the difficulty in my family dynamic. And again, as years went by and I started to um, have a little more awareness, I realized that the way Jesus would interact with being a family member in my family is not like either of those positions. So I had this framework of I need to solve all their problems and be the savior for them, but that's not healthy for me. And then on the other hand, I was like running away from deeply engaging with my family because I was so afraid of, I guess, falling back into that peacekeeping role of carrying those burdens. I also just didn't have a healthy framework for being around conflict, even if I wasn't involved in it. And so I realized like Jesus wasn't like fragile and avoidant like that. And so I started to be really convicted. I don't have context for loving my family properly as Jesus would, that I'm not supposed to be their savior, but I want to be like Jesus in this place. And I don't have the framework for that. And so I was preparing to take a trip home. This was a a few years ago, so I was probably still in grad school at this point. And so I was about to go home for summer and I kind of felt like just like I was the at the end of where the track had led me and I was like, God, I I don't have a healthy framework from this for this. Like I don't know how to relate to my family in a healthy way where I'm not trying to overfunction and be a savior and I'm not trying to run away from them and emotionally shut down. 
And so I asked the Lord, it's like, can you, can you give me a framework that both has hope for my family's continued healing and transformation while doing it in a healthy way for me? So I want to fight with you in the spirit, like for the continued transformation of my family. But I don't know how to do that in a healthy way yet. And I remember just asking the Lord for guidance and a new framework because the tools and frameworks I had had up until that point weren't from the Lord. And so I remember um, one morning sitting down with the Lord while I was at home. And then he just downloaded this framework that I wanted to share with you all. Um, essentially it was this practice of learning how to enter in to the heavenly realms, to the heavenly courts on behalf of each of my family members. Um, man, it is so hard to put words to this. Um, but, but I'm going to try. He, he showed me what it was like to, um, really engage in the heavenly realm in a way that was different and take each family member, with me in that place of being able to see fully who they are and to be able to speak with authority as I am seated in Christ and Christ is in me. And so um, he started showing me this stuff and it was just blowing my mind. Um, And so what I imagine, and I wish I could show you with my hands because I'm a like a visual processor, was essentially uh, me Uh, through the spirit engaging with Jesus recognizing that as I share in unity with Jesus I have full access to the heavenly realm which is more real than um, this chair that I'm sitting on right now or this mic that I'm speaking into or the phone or the laptop that you are holding as you're listening to this the heavenly realm is it's beyond it includes and is beyond the physical realm from my understanding and so for me to, through the Spirit, um, engage in the place where I am seated in one with Jesus in the heavenly realm, and I share, which is such a crazy scandal that we share the authority of Jesus in Jesus' name in our unity with Jesus. And so the Lord was starting to show me this practice of not only engaging that place for myself, but then taking through the Spirit my mom or my dad, or my sister, into that place of the heavenly realms, into the heavenly courts. And then from that place, the Lord would start to reveal more about who they truly are in him. And I would see that, you know, um, one of my siblings was made with um, this fiery passion and and spunkiness. And then I would see that my mom has this ta- soft, like tender love that is just so, so radical and so bright. And I would see these things in the heavenly realm over each of my family members that I took in. And then the spirit would, would help me to speak the the truth that I was actually fully seeing in the heavenly realm but speak that into the natural realm so I would see something about my mom that was like so beautiful and so so raw about like who the Lord had made her and then I would speak that over her more fully because I think the Lord was revealing like this is how I see them fully and just like me that's That's not how I always view myself or behave, that there's still a transformational element that I already am who God has made me and I still have room to still become the full picture of who I am in Jesus. And so the Lord would show me in that deep place in the heavenly realm, in the heavenly courts, how to speak and 
um, create that reality through um, our authority and unity with Jesus. And so he would show me how to do that. And then a couple of things would happen when I would do that. Number one, it would soften my heart toward that family member. So sometimes I would do this when I would feel um, frustrated or sad or angry or something. And I just felt like, okay, I just, I need to go in to the heavenly realm and to the heavenly courts with, with that person um, and bring them before God. And so when you do that, for me, it just made me so soft towards them. Because when you see someone through God's eyes, you can't feel that level of anger or frustration because that's not how the Lord looks at them. Even if there's deep pain that they have caused you or others, the Lord always looks at them with such love and tenderness and grace. And so for me, when I would enter in with that family member into the heavenly room, my heart would just grow soft and I would get this fresh perspective from heaven and it would change me. And so it would change that part of our relationship because my heart was now soft to that person. And in addition to those those prayers, that I fully believe when we pray in faith in the power and authority of Jesus' name, that changes things. It really does. And so, you know, the craziest stuff started to happen where I started to see my family react differently in part because of the stuff I was praying in the spirit realm with the Lord. I remember someone in my family would, you know, have these moments of uh, deep anger and frustration and then that person wouldn't engage with the rest of the family for a day or two even though we had plans it was like they need to cool off they couldn't engage with the rest of the family and that had been a dynamic for a while but as I was praying in the spirit realm for that person to um, just be softened and all the other stuff that the Lord was showing me I remember like the next week the next time that there was a conflict that arose, that person, instead of secluding themselves for several days, like came back to the dinner table and sat down and engaged with us. And to me, I was like, I have just seen a miracle in that that has never happened before. And I was just praying into that and being able to have eyes to see the Lord moving and working on behalf of my family was so powerful to me because you know, we're not close to a perfect family and we still got our issues, but to see God move in my family, that he was doing a new thing that I had never seen done in my family of, of deeper levels of forgiveness, of being able to lean in, in our family dynamic in the midst of conflict. And so for me, engaging in the heavenly realm on behalf of my family, with my family was huge because it also gave me eyes that were hopeful to see the glory of God moving on my family. And so instead of me looking at, you know, if there's 10 circumstances, looking at the the one or two or three or four that were still struggling that I hadn't seen breakthrough in, all of a sudden I had hopeful eyes of like, man, God, I'm seeing more of who they are in the spirit played out in the natural. Oh God, like you're making them gentle. Like that, that's how you show me that they are, you know, and then you get to see and celebrate the beautiful nature of how God has shaped that family member. And what would also happen at times in that space when I'm engaging deeply in the heavenly realm on behalf of my family is from that place, sometimes God would give me things to do in the natural to love them better, to apologize, to reconcile, to grow in that relationship. But because I had gone through that process of entering into this really tender spirit realm and, and heavenly court with 
the Lord and with that family member, my heart was softened. I got to see more fully who they were. And after I had gone through those steps, then I was able to receive like my marching orders in the natural. And so it was like, hey, you know, the Lord would say stuff like, I want you to reach out and spend quality time with that family member. Or like, I, I do need you to apologize about this thing. And to me, because I had gone through those first two steps, it felt like such a joy most of the time to engage and partner with God in the work that he was doing with my family. And so he he showed me all of this in like one morning and I was so mind blown. I was like, I don't even really know the Bible verses to be honest about this kind of stuff. But I'm just like, okay, spirit, I'm just going to receive and then we can figure out the theology later. Um, and so if if you're curious about things about related to being seated um, with Jesus in the heavenly realm, there's a lot of really cool Psalms about um, the heavenly courts. And um, one of my favorite verses about uh, what it means to be raised to life in Christ and the unity we share with him is in Ephesians 2, uh, 6, which says, For he, Jesus, raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus. Uh, and it's it's so out of grace. And as a side note, um, I remember I was sitting down with my mom who was a believer and I was telling her about this dynamic that the Lord had shown me that trip and she was a little uh, confused to say the least of like, huh? And I was like, same. I don't really <laughs> know how much of this works. Um, but what I was telling her was that, you know, I'd been in a more regular practice of, and then I started doing this, this with my friends too. It was really cool. I'm like praying over them, into them, alongside them in the spirit, um, which was just super cool. But, you know, what my mom was like, you know, this idea of us, like wielding the authority that Jesus has or being able to like speak things into existence in the heavenly courts and that impact the natural realm that's kind of intense like like if everybody's just allowed to do that like I, you know that seems uh intimidating like that could go really wrong and that's such such a valid point and so I shared this experience with her of um you know several months later after the Lord was showing me this new framework um I essentially, I think I was, I woke up really frustrated one morning and I was like, okay, all right, it's time for me to go engage in the heavenly realms, take my family into the heavenly courts and all that stuff. And I just was feeling so like frustrated about something. And so as I was going into prayer to um, engage in the heavenly realms and over a family member, I just felt this like almost like a jolt, like a door was almost like closed, like in my spirit. And I was like, hey, like what what's going on and it was like I I couldn't engage in the heavenly realm I couldn't like felt like the door had been shut or like a barricade had been put up and I was like oh can I not get in what's going on and then the voice of the Lord told me he's like no your heart is full of pessimism and you can't take pessimism into the heavenly realm and into the heavenly courts like that's not allowed here and I was very taken aback by that <laughs> to say the least and to someone who this was so new for and so I was like okay lord like oh so I have to have a pure heart to be able to go into this and that makes sense because if I have pessimism or a lack of faith or 
like impure anger in my heart and I try to go speak with authority in the name of Jesus and create things like that is not going to be good fruit and I'm going to be speaking things that are lies over people or things that I think should be done versus what I see the Lord revealing and so there was there's actually been times in which the Lord has not allowed me to engage in the heavenly realm um, on behalf of family or friends or honestly myself because my heart has not been aligned with the Lord Um, so that is something the Lord showed me when I went before him and I was like I'm not supposed to be this peacekeeper I'm not supposed to be Jesus to my family I'm not supposed to be the savior of my family but on the other hand I'm not supposed to run away and hide and just emotionally shut down and the Lord so beautifully from his grace gave me this new framework of what it means to love my family deeply to hold on to hope for them that like my family can be transformed, that these um, generational things, patterns that have been passed down, um, these areas of transformation where I can just see that the Lord wants to bless my family and raise them up into more full life and more full joy, to have hope for that and to be excited instead of being frustrated and bogged down, to, but to genuinely be excited at the idea that I get to partner with God and loving my family well and I get to fight for hope and look for the glory of God moving for my family's transformation. The last thing I wanted to talk about in terms of family, and really it's just been my journey, right? With um, man, allowing the Lord to show me new things in the spirit as I've shared and really humble me is... My gosh. So I remember this was maybe two summers ago. I was um, just so much stuff within myself of places that I still needed healing and I still needed to grow and, and I still needed more maturity in Jesus in relationship to my family. We're just coming up this trip like more so than usual. So I went on this beach run with the Lord and just some raw stuff started to come up. It was so good, but so hard. And I remember as I'm running on the beach, I'm like starting to cry at this point. I'm like, well, you're a mess anyway. I'm not very good at running. So I'm sure it (laughs) just looked like I was struggling even more. Um, But as I'm talking to the Lord during this run, he just told me, you should sit down. Which I know he's about to tell me something very intense when he's like, you should, you should take a seat for this one, love. So I took a seat down on this log at the beach. And as I'm just talking to the Lord, he was starting to speak into some of this like unhealed hurt I had in my heart, in my past, especially in, in regard to my family. And the Lord asked me this. He asked me, are you willing to forgive them before you receive healing in the areas that you've been hurt? And for me, that hit on such a sore spot for me that I didn't even realize was there in that I was like, forgiveness is so much easier when I've already been healed from the hurt that person has caused. And this is, of course, in the context of family, but also in romantic relationships or friendships or work relationships. It is so much easier for me to have forgiveness and grace for that person when what they have done no longer impacts me. But the Lord was really convicting me and showing me like what he, when Jesus says that we 
are commanded to forgive each other. There are no conditions and no stipulations. That There's nothing that says forgive everyone once you've been healed from the hurt that they've caused you. And Jesus was really just sticking his thumb in that in my heart. And I realized that the Lord was inviting me in a very hard, brutal, beautiful way. Inviting me to forgive ahead of the healing and to actually forgive and have faith for my continued healing. You know, forgiving the things that your parents or your siblings um, did when you were really young and fragile or recently to forgive them before you actually feel healed uh, from what they have done. And I think so much healing actually comes from forgiveness which is such a beautiful gift from the Lord. It's not something he has to do, but I think when we forgive, it frees up our hearts too. And the Lord in that conversation was showing me when people hurt us, especially people really close to us, like our families, a lot of it is simply because they have unhealed hurt too. That it's not like who who I saw fully in the spirit realm as you know, my mom or my sister or my dad, whatever it is. It's not like who I have seen them fully in Jesus. It's not like that person who they fully are. They hurt me. So often it's that they have hurt that they have not processed or healed from. And from that place, they have hurt another person. And so the Lord was showing me that it was like, there's just this perpetuation of hurt causing more hurt and trauma causing more trauma. And so the Lord was showing me that The power of forgiveness is to cut that off, to cut off the perpetuation of the impact of sin and to cut off the the passage of hurt from person to person through relationship. One story in scripture that just inspires me so deeply in the area of forgiveness and changing our generational patterns is the story of Joseph. Oh, I, I love it so much. It gives me so much hope. And so, you know, you can read the full story in Genesis, but some of my favorite highlights are one, Joseph was so immature. <laughs> he was, you know, set apart and destined for, for so much power and authority and purity in his heart and all of these great things. But when we first meet Joseph in the Genesis narrative, he is immature like me, like you, (laughs) like he is not the perfect brother or the perfect son. He's also immature. Like he goes around bragging about these um, promises that he's been giving and these prophetic dreams that the Lord is giving him and like not stewarding that with maturity, which is not to say he deserves anything that he earned, but he's not like this perfect son that I think we sometimes frame him as. So, you know, he has this level of immaturity and uh, there's so much uh, a jealousy amongst his siblings about um, the sort of favoritism that his father shows him and these like the prophetic dreams that he's having, you know, and they just do such sad, brutal, terrible things. Or originally, we're not going to kill him, but one of his brothers talks the rest of the siblings out of it. They leave him for dead. They, you know, sell him into the slave trade. Like, if you want to talk about family trauma and conflict look at Joseph's story. But for me, what is so beautifully redemptive about that is when Joseph has his rise to power in Egypt, you know, he's Pharaoh's right-hand man. When the famine strikes, he has every opportunity to pay back his brothers with vengeance, to say, 
you left me for dead. You sold me off. Like you not only abandoned me, but forcefully separated me from my family. He has, from the world's view, every right to repay those horrendous deeds with, um, you know, at, at best, a cold shoulder and turning them away in their time of need. But when he has that opportunity to pay back horrendous behavior with vengeance, he instead forgives and embraces his family and cares for his family. And whenever that I read that story, I'm always brought to tears because for me, it it inspires and convicts me so much to love my friends, my people I'm in relationship with, but especially my family well. Because the more I grew in my awareness, especially with the genogram and really thinking about um, my parents' upbringings and my family dynamic from my siblings' perspective, the more I was able to see that we're all just trying to do the best we can. We really are. Like our parents, no matter how you feel about them, majority of them have been trying their best with the resources they had, with um, the upbringing that they were given. They try their best to love us well, to provide for us when we are younger. And of course they fall short. I think that's one of the hard but important parts of young adulthood is like no longer putting your parents on this pedestal of perfect people of, you know, the heroes of the story. And I think oftentimes we kind of pendulum swing and they're like, they become the villain in our teenage years and like young, young adulthood years. Um, But recognizing that, man, there's so much grace that your parents have done the best they could, that the that your siblings have likely done the best they could with the resources, with the relational equity, with the love that they have received. And so for me, reading the story of Joseph, going back and understanding more deeply my parents' upbringing, my siblings' upbringing, um, and my extended family context allowed me to have more grace for the areas in which I feel like it's so easy for us to point out how our family members need to grow and their faults because we're around them and we irk each other. But to recognize that, you know, they have done the best they could with the resources they have. And at times they fell short, but other times they did a really beautiful job of loving as well. And to celebrate those times and not always be bogged down by the areas of fault in our parents and our siblings but to love them well where they are and to forgive them for the pain that they have caused us for the action or inactions that they took that hurt us to forgive in faith creates this beautiful pure context for new healthy relationship dynamics to burst forth because instead of you returning their anger their sadness their unhealthy actions towards you instead of repaying those with equally unhealthy counter reactions we can forgive and instead create this place of honesty and humility and vulnerability and love to create a new, reconciled, deeper, healthier relationship with our family. So that was a lot. (laughs) Um, I am still working on this so, so much. I have so much growth to do in my ability to uh, really look at the ways that um, I can love my family better um, in the ways that I need to hold on to hope for my family's continued transformation 
um, and the like real life tangible work that I have to do in my own family dynamic. But I hope that you enjoyed this really honest, slightly obscure, slightly mystical <laughs> approach to what it means to press into our discipleship in the area of family. Because whether or not you uh, are married or want to become a parent one day, family is so, so, so central to our lives. And because of that, our expression of discipleship, I know that my family gets to see, honestly, some of the worst parts of myself, which sucks because I love them so deeply. But I want to be able to have my life and my family relationships be a testimony to the transformative work that Jesus has done in my life. And so for me, that has looked like uncomfortably, bravely, vulnerably entering into the hardest parts of my family dynamic where I am at times the worst version of myself and to enter in with the spirit to allow myself to be transformed and changed to allow myself to be soft to God and convicted and to have also just like natural, normal conversations with my family of like, hey, I'm sorry, I did this and it sucked. What could I have done to love you better? To have that humility and that honesty because as much as it is very easy to point out what everybody else is doing wrong, it is even harder to recognize the things that we can actually control and the things that we actually need to change and that the spirit is inviting us into so with that i pray that your family dynamics can be uh, strengthened and deepened in the lord and this upcoming year this has been the jesus drinks coffee podcast with ratio shimura let's chat soon